This is the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast, where we examine topics of interest to people who seek a secular path to recovery from addiction. I can't believe it's been almost two months since we put out a podcast episode, and that's not because I haven't been recording them. It's just that I have not been editing and posting them. I'm so sorry about that. This particular episode we recorded back in January. At that time, I was needing some guests, so I put out a call for help on our Facebook group, and one of the people who volunteered was Rich L. He wrote that he had helped start a secular AA meeting in his area, and I thought it would be interesting to have him on to share his personal story of recovery and how and why he started this meeting and how things are going today. So I think that you're going to enjoy this episode. It was a fun one. I was in kind of a light mood, and uh, I think that Rich was too, so uh, we had a good time talking. I think you'll enjoy this episode. Let's start, if you don't mind, with your story. How did how did you ever get involved with Alcoholics Anonymous? I imagine that you must have drank a little bit at one time in your life. <laughs> yes. I was a drinker. That's how I ended up in AA. Yeah. So <laughs> I have been to meetings where people come to AA and say, you guys help me stop smoking, you know, but that's not why I'm a member of AA. If that works for you, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So let's see, you know, I, uh, how it was, you know, I, I was born into a family uh, of alcoholics, I guess. My parent, I would describe my parents as alcoholics. Certainly my father was, was quite alcoholic. And, you know, I had a somewhat, the somewhat chaotic, but loving upbringing that comes with, you know, sort of a, a functional alcoholic kind of a situation. There was, you know, some things happened. Um, but, um, you know, I was very, as a kid, I was, I was pretty shy and, you know, really didn't connect with people. And I had a lot of experiences with bullying in, in junior high school and elementary school. Um, so, you know, being an awkward kid, you know, during high school, I did kind of find my way a little, I always had a few friends, but I wouldn't ever describe myself as comfortable or socially successful. Um, and I just, I did kind of just feel like I didn't understand how to do it. Right. Uh, life maybe not just, you know, and, uh, you know, I guess in hindsight that had something to do with maybe being, you know, not, you know, I didn't learn a lot of these things from my parents because they were busy, <laughs> you know, so they did their best, but they were busy. And, uh, so, you know, in college I started drinking really. My parents were very, uh, controlling about my behavior. They were worried about it. I guess they didn't want me to, I don't know, but so I, and it wasn't that important to me. I drank a few things at times in high school, but in college I, I really discovered it. And, you know, it really felt like it, you know, it's like a lot of stories you hear in AA. It, it seemed to work for me. Right. And I was able to expand my social network and actually basically become a relatively what I thought of as a normal person connecting with people and having friends. I don't, you know, in hindsight, maybe that wasn't just the alcohol. Maybe it was just the time of life too, but I thought the alcohol was really what it was. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a pretty intense person. So I got pretty into it, you know? So basically that started it. And, um, you know, from there it was up and down. I, I had a very poor, uh, academic record in college. It was a combination of drinking and going on tour with the Grateful Dead and discovering weed and all the great things that happened to me. You know, I thought, you know, it was, it was a kind of a magical time, but it wasn't an academic time. Um, I entered the workforce. I, I'm, I'm, I, were, I entered the tech workforce because I've always been smart. I just couldn't apply myself in college to pass advanced exams. Actually, what happened was I switched to history uh, from from hard science, and it was a lot easier. <laughs> oh, and I, I like history. I wish I would have studied that. Actually, um, I wish I would have studied something I actually liked. Um, maybe I would have done that better, even with my drinking. But who knows? <laughs> Yeah, and I, ironically, it was a voyage of self-discovery because what I really – I studied European history, but I studied a lot of religious history. Of course, medieval history is religious history, but then – so I ended up taking a lot of religious classes just to try to figure that out. Did you have a religious background? Did you go to church as a kid? Oh, well, no. I had a – you know, my my families were – I mean, my and my, my dad's family was – Baptist and my grandmother kept telling me I was going to go to hell because my father wasn't taking me to church. Uh, but I didn't go to church. No, but that of course planted the seed that maybe I needed to know something there. 
I always, I always rejected religion, but I always tried to find a way. Uh, I was always interested in it. I think what I'm really looking for, you know, is a belief system that makes sense in the 21st century. You know, I, I haven't found one. Um, the Buddhist, uh, the Buddhist stuff has been the most valuable to my recovery. Um, so I guess to continue, um, I, uh, you know, I, I went out in the world and I had, you know, ups and downs and I guess, you know, a lot of the AA sayings kind of can cover that, you know, it was fun. Then it was fun with trouble. Then it was mostly trouble for the last five or 10 years I was drinking. I quit, I quit about almost, I could quit, uh, two and three quarters of years ago, basically, um, was the last time I drank. Um, I came to AA because I had a couple relapses when I tried to quit drinking on my own. Um, I, what I was really doing when I was trying to quit, uh, on my own was pick a date in the future where there was a major event that I wanted to drink and then relapse there. <laughs> so I did that a couple of times. And the second time my wife was like, you know, I, I realized that that wasn't going to work, you know, and, and my wife was very uncomfortable. She was happy that I was, you know, mostly sober, but she wasn't cool with it. And neither was I. Um, and, uh, and so I started, so I started going to a noon group, um, like around the corner from here. Um, I was, was going to ask you, where are you work. from? Oh yeah. I, I live in, I live in Mountain View, California. Oh, okay. So okay. It's always Valley. good to know what part of the country someone's from because, you know, uh, life is so different wherever, you know, depending on where you live in this, in this country. And I know California, you know, it can be, uh, different too, that, um, I would, you know, as a Midwesterner, I always think of California as like, like Los, Los Angeles, you know, or San Francisco, but California can be very different in some of the smaller towns and, and so forth outside of the, of the metropolitan area, just like anywhere else really. So, so what was it like when you went to the, the your meeting, what was your impression there? Well, you know, there was the religious aspect of it right away. Right. I, and, and I mean, you sit down, you look, you read, you know, I went to one of those meetings where they put the steps and the traditions up every, and it's a, every day. Uh, I went to a couple of, then I settled on one. It's called R and B. It's uh, it's over here in Sunnyvale. And, um, um, you know, I'm reading, I'm reading them, you know, and I knew that AA could work for atheists and free thinkers. Cause I had two, I have two friends that have been sober most of the time I've known them. Um, and they were very, not much not believers. Um, so I'm reading the steps and I'm not really believing, like, I can't believe God is in almost literally every one of them. I was shocked when I saw that. I did not realize that at my first meeting, when I saw God everywhere, that threw me for a loop because when I ever saw AA in the movies, they aren't ever talked about God or anything, but there it was. I was like, what's weird. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so it's just an initial thought, but then uh, whatever. But then I had a lot of, then I was reading the traditions and then, you know, I, I hit on tradition number three, right? The only, you know, the only, you know, so I'm like, well, you know, if, if that's the truth that I'm just going to believe what I believe and figure it out later, but I can't do this on my own. So I have to try this. You know, I knew there were other avenues, but I, you know, you go on a, a website and you see there's all these meetings and there's, I mean, so many choices. I think somebody said there's like 700, pre-COVID, there were like 700 meetings in the Bay Area. You know, and most of them are too far to drive, but, you know, there's got to be 100, 100 meetings I can drive to in 30 minutes a year. So, um, which is the main reason that I've perpetually stuck with AA. I've flirted with other, other groups. Uh, but the, but the, 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 the critical mass we have really has a lot to do with it. So anyway, I, I went to the meeting and, you know, the one thing that became apparent right away after I went for a couple of days was, you know, that this meeting was, was a good, people were m- m- very positive. I'd gone to a, another group nearby and it was very sullen. And, uh, this particular group was very, was very spirited. And, you know, and I, I went to a Friday, like Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, and they came Friday and they gave out chips and it was like, Oh my goodness. You know, all these people are getting chips and there was a woman who got a 40 year chip and I just like, you know, and then I realized, you know, I'm tearing up a little thinking about it. You know, it's just like, yeah, I can do this. They did this. These people are fine. You know, some of them are weird. These people are fine. Some of them are, you know, they, they, they seem to range uh, the gamut of normal humans from, you know, rich to poor, successful to unsuccessful, happy to sad. They, they were all there. They were all good and they weren't drinking. And, and on that first day, I realized that I had, I could get a two month chip. So that was also really exciting for me. I got a two month chip. So, so yeah, so I showed up, um, I, I, uh, I spent a month or so, two or three weeks looking around before I got a sponsor. 
I did decide to get a sponsor and, and I started working the steps after that uh, with my sponsor. I had a lot of trouble with the God stuff book, God stuff. But then there was a woman, uh, this wonderful woman named Jean. And I haven't seen her for a year. I hope she's doing well over at that R and B group. And she's, she's, she's a retired school teacher. And she told me about uh, Russell Brand's book. And, and she said, you know, read, you sound like you need to read Russell Brand's book. So I got that book and, um, you know, I'm reading the, the big book, right. And like, you know, you know, to the atheists and like to the wives and it's like, Oh my God. Right. And I'm having a lot of trouble with that. Um, and so I just kind of pivoted and started doing all my step work in Russell's book. And I don't know if you've mm. read Russell's book. I haven't, but I have not yet. It's, it's not very big. Um, and it follows, it's got 12 chapters, you know? Okay. I might try to actually read it today because we have a book club on our Facebook group and we're actually going to be talking about Russell Brand's book tomorrow and I haven't read it. So maybe today. Oh, I know that I should go to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah so, um, so it's, you know, his book is part by autobiographical and part explaining how 12 steps works and, you know, his trouble with the God word. And he admits that he's not an atheist anymore, which, I kept reading anyway. Um, but he really, in a way, his book is better because, um, you know, in AA we have, you know, the, the 12 and 12 in the big book and you have what people say you should do because of what it says on certain pages. But, you know, there's been a, a movement in AA to say they want a workbook for a long time, right? Um, and I don't think we can ever get one because my workbook would look totally different than other people's workbooks. So I don't think it's even possible. But, um, but um, um, his book really does concretely lay out what he thinks you should do, which is a, in some cases, a superset of anything I've ever asked any, been asked by anyone to do as part of a 12 step pro, you know, the AA 12 steps. So I, I did my step work and, um, you know, it's, I went through a, a, you know, really good phase where I, uh, I was very happy, you know, the pink cloud, I guess I, I hate speaking. And one of the things that bothers me having been so long in is it sounds, it's like going to church. People have the book and they have the highlights and they're saying the sayings and there's so many of them. And, and it gets to be like reflexive and not contemplative. And, uh, so, so anyway, I, um, I did all that. I, I, I did, did my step work. I had a pretty good period. Um, how it's been since, you know, I have been able, what, what my basic approach to it was I did the step work with my sponsor relatively quickly, you know, over the course of a few months, uh, several, maybe six months. Um, and, you know, going through, you know, the resentments and, and, and all the fears and, and all these, you know, the inventory was very, very, was pretty enlightening for me. I, I, I think I, I grew a lot out of that. I kind of got to the end of that. And it's kind of like, ask God to, you know, this is kind of another place where it kind of gets off the rails for me. Ask God to remove them. And so then I'm asking around, so what do you do now? Like, will you ask God to remove your defects? And it seemed to me there's a, a large school of thought that says that's what you do. Like, yeah, like that's, that, period. People just sentence. take it literally. I feel sorry for the people actually who really, really believe in God, because if they think that God's going to remove their character defects and that's all they have to do, they're really not going to benefit from the the growth that comes with recovery. But I tell you what, what happens is they end up doing the same thing that you and I do, but they think that God has something to do with it, I suppose, or at least they say that God has something to do with it. But basically they, they go to therapists and they improve themselves in, in whatever way that works for them. Yeah, I hope they do. I think I, mean, I hope they so. Most of them don't. <laughs> don't. Right. I don't think most people do. <laughs> Maybe they don't. <laughs> I do think, you know, I was in therapy at the beginning, you know, basically I started my sobriety gen uh, journey because of something that happened on Christmas day, <laughs> uh, almost three years ago or just over three years ago. Um, and, uh, I went to a therapist and, you know, he was a, an addiction therapist. I didn't really know it at the time. He was the one who would take my thing, right. How, you know, how that is. Um, and, uh, he, you know, he recommended that I go to AA um, but I didn't get the, once I arrived there, I didn't get the impression that there was a lot of people did in therapy and my therapist, but the, my therapist did tell me, you know, Hey, if you're doing AA, it's free, you, you know, I cost you like a hundred bucks a visit. So at some point I stopped seeing him while I was doing my step work. Um, he's since retired or I think I would probably be, be talking to him again. Um, I think getting back into therapy is probably something I should do at some point. 
but but my once I did the inventory and, and you know basically my approach was it didn't make any sense to um to just pray or go to meetings and have thoughts about it you know i recognized that i had problems with acceptance and i had problems i had problems living in the real world i had anger management problems um and you know did at that time feel that i needed to quote grow spiritually um and what really worked for me was a lot of the buddhist psychology um, books, um, you know, using the, the kind of the, a lot of the ideas of Buddhism sans the, any mysticism, uh, really, really did help me, um, along with, you know, some other self-help resources, you know, so basically what I did was I talking to others and, 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 you know, researching, tried to find resources that would address, you know, the things that the character traits that came out of my inventory. And I did that with earnestness for a while. Now, once COVID hit, like everything fell to crap, but um, I did a pretty good job for a while. Um, that looked like really, it looked like um, finding podcasts. Sometimes it was your podcast. Um, uh, sometimes it was, uh, and then another revelation I had was, Hey, I don't, I'm not really great at reading these self-help books. Let's just buy them. And listen, let's buy the audio book. And so, but the time that I would do that would really be the 40 minutes or so to and from work, which is a pretty long time. Um, if you do it, you know, two, three days a week, it's, you can read books and pretty quickly. Um, of course, middle of March, I stopped going to work. I haven't been back. I've changed jobs since then. Now I work for, for a company in another city even. So I don't drive there either. You're, you're working from home? <laughs> I've been working from home full time since March and I'm very fortunate that as a knowledge worker, I can do that. And as you know, and that the economy is held up and that I was even got, had the opportunity. Basically I was unemployed when I came into the rooms and that was one of the catalysts for me coming into the rooms. I actually lost control of my startup company and the guy blamed it on my drinking, but it wasn't, it was much more complicated than that. And I'd been sober. I anyway, but it was much more complicated than that, but alcohol was certainly a factor. Um, and that was one of the big revelations I had as I did the steps. Um, I came into AA thinking that I was really a high bottom drunk and, you know, and I never really had any troubles. You know, I've never had a DUI, I've never been in jail and I never lost a job out of, over alcoholism. I thought, except for maybe that last one, you know, but after a whole lot of thinking and thoughts, uh, you know, thinking and reflection, you know, I realized now I've, my professional career would be quite different if I had <laughs> yeah. not if yeah. I had not been so hung over and I, and I had not had, you know, and not, for example, I, you know, for example, I was in a, in a, in a, in a job for a while where after the trade show, we would just go out and get drunk. And then I got a new boss and my reaction was to do the exact same thing because that's what we always did. Everyone else was smart enough not to do that. But I made a spectacle of myself. Sure. I did too. In front of, you know, the senior vice president, <laughs> right, right? right? The senior, senior vice president of Fortune 500 company. So, yeah, you know, I didn't get the promotion. No. <laughs> yeah, and we don't think about that at the time. But, yeah. And we've no, heard. I totally didn't think it was related. You know, and, and the thing that I think is the worst, you know, alcohol is, is, is just so totally evil because, um, you know, it has a built-in anesthesia, right? So it, it either rounds off or completely deletes the things that we really need to know. And even just the rounding off of it, you know, this is, makes me, made me come to all the wrong conclusions about what had actually happened. Mm -hmm. So has, has, has your opinion of, or your thoughts of the steps changed um, since you actually did that initial step work? No, I don't, I don't, well, I don't know what, well, let, let me, when I did them, I felt like they were very, very useful. So despite the fact that they had gotten them, you know, so, so, you know, I met a couple of, of, of folks early on and we would sit together in meetings and it's like, we got to start a meeting. We got to like, there's a secular thing. We got to start a meeting, but, um, which we started to work on. But in the meantime, yeah, I could, you know, I, I found the little book and Russell brand and, you know, so I, I was doing the real work. Um, and, and so it wasn't, so the God thing fell away while I did the step work, right? I didn't worry about God in relation to the steps. I hear so many people talk about how they couldn't do the step because, you know, it had the word God in it. What I did, what I did 
what I did for my spirituality in AA was, you know, oh, being overly analytical. Um, the the reason that I decided the reason that we have the higher power is because we can't trust our own judgment. And the book specifically says about alcohol. People misinterpret that to think they can't trust their own judgment. And certainly if you're right, and certainly if you're in the in the throes of it, you probably can't trust your own judgment. I just talked about that. And unfortunately, there are sponsors who kind of tell people that too. Unfortunately, it yeah. Yeah. And so going on, like going forward, you're sober now, you, you have, you have capacity, your mental capacity relatively intact now, you know, no, you're not, you know, you, 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 you should not give up your, your, your provenance, right. You should not give up your power. Um, but you know, so we're powerless over alcohol. We have to, you know, we need help. Um, I decided that what we really need is just to recognize that we're not God. We're recognize we're not in control, recognize the world is bigger and more powerful than us. And then you don't need to me, you didn't need a superpower to do that. One of my friends, I had a long talk with him about it and he said his higher power was physics. And, you know, he said, well, you can't change physics, right? Physics is physics. Physics is not supernatural. And, you know, being overly, and so when I had the conversation with him, I'm like, oh my God, you're so right. Yes, I can use physics or, you know, something like that. Um, but then when I, my reading of the book and the steps says that literally people want to give things to their higher power and expect something to come back. It seems very clear from reading the book to me, literally, you know, if I step back and try to get more ethereal with it, maybe. And so that made me refuse, made me really uncomfortable with the idea of using something like physics, something like nature, something like something that doesn't give back can't be my higher power according to the bullshit in the book. And, and so I decided that the group would be my higher power. And so I just would use the group whenever God came up in the context of asking for help or other things that you do in the steps, right? It's, it's, it's the group. And I don't, I don't, I think that, that's what, you know, I, I don't have any problem with that. You know, yeah. I, I, it's always been other people who's, who have helped me. Yeah. I mean, every single time in my life, even before, even when I was in the throes of it and I was drunk or something, if I was ever in a situation where I needed help, I was able to find it, you know, and I, I know other people in life have had other experiences. Absolutely. You know, that was my break with my, um, my initial, my original home group that I went to for 25 years. And uh, what happened is I, after 25 years, I realized I was an atheist and I started talking about my recovery in a very different way, more and more practical terms and without the God stuff. And, and then I got even more bold and started uh, disputing some of what I heard there, but I'll never forget this one meeting. There was a, there was a reading and I think it might be, be from the big book, but this, this came from the 24 hour book, whatever that book is. And it said that the, the time and place will come when no, there will be no human power who can help you, that you will drink, that there's no other human power that can help you. That's it, right? And it's that specific. It says, it's got to, it can only God can help you. There's going to come that time when no human power can help. And I, and I said, you know, I don't believe that's true for me. I, told, I explained to the group that, you know, as long as that I've been in AA, there has always been another human being who could help me. I have never been like on some desert island where there is no other human being that could help, you know, and plus now, you know, I've got the internet. There's all kinds of ways to connect with other human beings and it's, they've always been there for me. So I just, I, and I said, I don't believe in God. So I don't think that that, that applies, you know, but people um, to, you know, were very um, upset with me and they went around the room and they corrected me and told me how wrong I was that I, that I totally missed the point that um people will that the only god can can help me and i i just it just it was such a it was such a, a stark um contrast between me and them and a difference that i couldn't i i i i said well wow if you won't accept this view of mine i just can't i just i just that's it that's it for me and and it was around that time that i started a secular meeting here in kc but that was it for me i uh, these are people that I knew for 25 years, and they they really couldn't accept this secular view that I had. And I think that's kind of where I'm at. Like I, I, I so so my what what's what it's like today during COVID. I 
I, we started a secular meeting. It's a, it meets when it meets, uh, it meets at a church in Palo Alto on Wednesday at six o'clock. Normally. Are you meeting um, in person now? Oh no, of course not. There was a brief time when the church opened up. I, I, I floated that with membership and no one want, no one was interested. Um, you know, it would have been in hindsight, I kind of wished we'd done it for a couple of weeks in the summer. Cause it would have been relatively, it would have been safe ish. And we're not going to see each other now for a while, but um, you know, for good reason. I definitely believe in COVID. Oh, I, don't, I want to make sure you know. Me, I, me, I, me I too. Me too. Uh, um, um, yeah. And I go to two, uh, two normie meetings. Uh, one of which I'm, I'm the treasurer for, which is uh, both a Bane, which is both a wonderful, a wonderful Bane, I guess. It's like, I can't, I have to go. <laughs> it's a lot of work during, it's a lot less work during COVID to be the treasurer for a, a meeting with no expenses. Um, but <laughs> it used to be quite a hassle because we rent from the city and, and it was, it involved a lot of paperwork and, you know, it's, I don't mind doing it. Uh, so I keep going to these two, um, normal normie meetings. Cause I, the normie meetings, mainline meetings, whatever you want to call them, you know, they, they're local meetings. You know, I want to keep in touch with real people. I, I, I'm not ready to go fully virtual. I, I mean, I think I don't, I think it's a great, there's great things about it, of course. Um, yeah, but I'm find myself kind of not wanting to speak my uh, truth in some in, in those meetings at different times, and part of the reason is because I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, when there were a lot of when there were more newcomers in the room, I felt more inclined to tell my story. Um, and and uh, the R and B meeting was a good example where you know they bring uh, it's it's linked with one of these uh, Kaiser's help programs. And so there's like always a lot of newcomers there. So, so saying, you know, my truth that there's a secular way is helpful to some of them. Right. Um, so I want to make sure I do it, but now I'm going to these meetings and it's primarily the same people that have always been going to these meetings. And I kind of feel like if I'm telling them kind of the way I feel about it is that if your sobriety, if you're constantly saying that you're the key, the key, the key to your sobriety is this relationship with this thing that frankly, I don't think exists, you know, I think that's wonderful for you. And I mean, you know, I totally see how your life is totally better than it was before. And now you're a great person. And before you were homeless or, you know, suffering, you know, even if you weren't, the problem is I can't learn from you anything because your your um, your sobriety is due to magic, and I'm trying to stay sober, not using magic, and so I'm really concerned oftentimes about accidentally saying that exact what I just said out loud in the meeting because it's not it's not it's not helpful to them. No. It's really weird too. Um, I had I, my observation of people in AA is and I could be wrong but I, and I've been around the rooms for a long time but the the one group that I went to for for decades um my impression was that the people in the room weren't particularly religious okay as far as church going people there were some who were catholic and went to church because that the, out of a social type of a thing you know um but they weren't like evangelicals that were like really bible thumping evangelical Christians. I never got that impression anyway, but when it came to AA, they were right. Right. Some relatively normal people. And then they're just like, Oh, and you're like, that's wonderful. AA became the religion (laughs) and it was my religion. And I came to that realization after quite some time as a new person, I was younger and I never really had religious experiences in a way it was somewhat attractive to me to have this mystical thing that I was experiencing that I had in common with these other people that was somehow unexplainable and mystical. Right. But when I was actually doing the stuff, I always knew that this is really, these are just practical actions that I'm taking. And even in the big book, it talks about this being a practical program of recovery. So it's the practical things that, that we do. And when I finally shifted all the way to being an atheist, I, I saw everything as absolutely practical, and I, I still see it that way. But when it came to how other people understand the program, I think that the problem has to do with language. So when I, when I think about the history of the steps and how they came to be, it was a description of the experience of those specific people in 1939 
And they did come from a religious background. They did come from that Oxford evangelical movement. And their experience was kind of mystical and everything, you know, and, and they described it in their language and their terms. But as an atheist, I, 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 I have, I'm one of these atheists that I'm absolutely sure there's no God. I'm, I'm, I know there's no God. I, it's just it's a ridiculous thing to even think about there being a God, in my opinion. So when I hear somebody saying that there's a God that's keeping them sober, I think, well, you might think that, but what's really keeping you sober, I'm just processing this in my brain, are the things that you're doing. And you're doing the same things that I'm doing, but you think there's some God that's making it possible for you. And the only reason you think that is because you're reading, because you're in this group that that is that thinks that this book that was written in 1939 is the way, and so you're using these the, the language of these people that were like almost a hundred years ago now. Well, you know, getting there. So anyway, it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing of language, and I just wish that there were a way to. It is changing a little bit, like people like you using Russell Brand's book. Um, I'm, I'm hearing more and more of that now. People that are in recovery are not, they look at the big book, which, is, which was written in 1939, which is ridiculously old now, right? And, and it, it's, just, it's, just, it's just like, okay, this is ridiculous. It's a very old book. It's language that I don't really use in my, in my life and around people that I know. Um, but I've got this other book that speaks my language, and they're going to that book. Whereas when I was getting sober in the eighties, we didn't have Amazon. We didn't, you know, it was not like that easy to go <laughs> find. And there were there weren't a lot of other recovery related books as far as I knew at that time. But anyway, I think it's interesting. Yeah, and that kind of leaves me like one of the problems I'm struggling with AA is like, what do I do now? Because I'd like to be active in the group and whatnot. Um, when, when people say, you know, are you willing to be a sponsor? I always raise my hand. Um, but if I raise my hand in my, in my traditional AA group and somebody wants to be my, me to be their sponsor, you know, I don't want to read the book with them. I, I'm just like right there, like plain flat out. I don't want to read the big book with them. So how am I supposed to really be an AA sponsor? Um, I had a sponsee, one sponsee for a while. I mean, he's, he's I think he's sober-ish now. Um, who, who I met through our secular group and we decided to do what, um, what I did. And we did a few steps in, in Russell Brand's book before he drifted away. Um, but that was, you know, and, and, and I'd love to, I look forward to maybe doing that again, but you know, I feel like if I go to a traditional AA meeting and I get a sponsee and I say, well, we're going to use this book, I'm like stealing them. Right. I'm like, I'm like proselytizing for my version of it in a way. Um, and, and the other thing about it is that having that sponsee who was uh, 30 something, uh, you know, he, he was not at all interested in AA. Like he was there because he need, he knew he needed to be there, but he thought it was just a bunch of old men and stupid shit. And like, God, 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 he had nothing positive to say. He thought our meeting was the only mostly tolerable one that he was going to and our meeting, you know, eight out of 10 times our meeting is, is a, is a, is an AA meeting with little or no mention of higher powers. The other two times, of course, it's a resentment airing exercise, which is the hallmark trademark of secular AA. Well, yeah, it happens um, when, a, especially it depends upon the, who is at the meeting that particular time and where they're at. So like when our group was first starting out, um, we it's like six years ago now. Um, in the very beginning, we got people who this was their first experience of a meeting where we didn't pray, we didn't talk about God, and they were relieved, and they had to talk about the comparison and the difference and the um, problems that they had. And then we had another group of people who were just um, who left AA completely because of the God business. And when they came back to our group and they, and so they, so we had this element of people that were angry at AA, had bad experiences with AA, or were just thought that our way was better. And they wanted to talk about that. But after a while, as the group grew, you know, that talk kind of lessened, you know, and after a while it got to be just to be where it's just a regular meeting, but occasionally you'd have the person that would have to get that off their chest. It has to say, you know, I, this is crazy shit. And, 
<laughs> you know, that's exactly so. how our meeting. That's exactly how our meeting has evolved. Yes, absolutely. And and but it has also been somewhat of a gateway for those people because I've seen a few people come in who've been, you know, I was in AA and I hate the book, and then um, they start coming to our meeting, and then after a little while, you realize they're going to most of the meetings in the Palo Alto area, <laughs> so I kind of get them back in, and they keep coming back to our meeting because our meeting is the place where they don't have to deal with as much of that stuff. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, one of those things where it's kind of a delicate balance, I guess. I, I know I'd hate to be in a meeting where all we do is, is a bitch about AA, but on the other hand, if people have actually been abused by it and there is some abuse, um, they need to talk about it, I guess. So it's, it's, yeah, it's a thing. And I, and the difference though, is that it only occurs in secular AA because you don't hear that in a traditional AA meeting, no one's going to. No one's going to bash God. No one's going to, no one's going to bash the big book at a regular AA meeting, you know, because you've got the, you've got the, um, I don't know, the sort of a desire that we have that I had anyway, in my early sobriety of wanting to conform to what I saw everybody else doing, you know, I don't really like that about myself, but I think that I was a real conformist in those early days because I was like you, I really didn't have any religious ideas. I didn't understand this. I thought it was kind of cool and mystical and I just, was speaking the language that I heard in the room and that way I was accepted, you know, and after a while you lose yourself when you do that. Yeah. I'm worried about, I was worried. I, I wasn't quite like that. Like, uh, and, and I did try a little, one of the, one of the, I have a friend who is very, um, who's very evangelical and uh, a very active in AA he actually keeps them separate. He sees them as two separate things, which is very yeah, interesting. Yeah. I've met people but, like that. Um, but he, and he, he, um, he really pressed me to just say, please. And thank you. And while it sounds great, like what's wrong with, you know, because that's what I'm trying to do. I want to be in gratitude. Right. Uh, but I just found it kind of ridiculous to pray to nothing and no one. There are a lot of people in our atheist group that do pray, and I'm cool with that. But I felt, I literally felt ridiculous doing it. So I, I tried a couple times, but I couldn't. I was not willing to conform to that level. I just, I, I could not do it. So, um, you know, I guess I didn't fall far enough. Right? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's the gift of desperation that 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 seems to bring people there, but. Um, you know, you were talking about sponsoring people, Rich, and I wanted to bring this up. Um, one difficult, I, I don't sponsor people. They don't want me to sponsor them. And I think the reason for that is, and I, I was kind of this way, when you come into the program and you're at the lowest point of your life, you almost want someone to tell you, what do I do? What's what? Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Tell me what to do. And I've come to the conclusion that although the steps are a great framework for the way I live my life, there's nothing magical about them. And I've also come to the conclusion that the steps in a way are a natural thing that we would do whether or not they were written in front of us or not. So in other words, I've got this theory that if you, if you've been beaten up by alcohol, you get to a place where you say, I can't do it anymore. And you might, you might want to put that in the words that I'm powerless over alcohol. My life is unmanageable. I can't do it anymore. I need help. And then you come to, you come to think that, wow, there's something out there that can help me. And you, you might call that step two. I came to believe that I, you know, and it's these, a, these people in the program are really helping me. And then, and then you say, you know what, I, I'm going to, I'm going to make a commitment to this, what this, to this sobriety, you know, you might call that step three. And then you go through and you just, you just start it as just as a, just as a natural process of getting sober, you start comparing the difference between what your life is like now and what it was. And you start becoming more self-reflective, especially when you see other people in the meetings talking about what they've learned about themselves. And I think it's just natural to have that, you know, starting to, to think more about yourself. And I guess I can't generalize that everybody's that way because some people just can't, don't have that ability, but I think a lot of people do. And then there's that natural desire to want to um, mend relationships that have been broken because of your drinking. So I think a lot of it is just kind of stuff that you want to do anyway, as you get better. And if you just kind of go to meetings and you listen to people who've already been through that part of their life, you know, the steps kind of happen. And you're willing to change and eager to learn. Yeah. 
And, you know, there are psychopaths out there who ha- have absolutely no interest in, in learning about themselves. So you have to take that into account. You know, there are there are those people, you know, so I can't say that it, that I can't say as a general rule, that's all human beings. But um, I think for me, the interesting thing about these kind of things is that I have to get my one way or another. You know, I have some let's I have some glaring issue that I just can't face or that causes me pain to think about. Um you know, it tends to go sideways for a long time because I can't go there. But then there's either a compelling life event or like the steps, something, something, I get myself into the right frame of mind, you know, I become willing. And uh, then I can confront whatever it is. And the framework of, you know, telling these things out loud to another person, it, it's not new to AA, it's not even new to the Oxford group, it goes back further and further. And and there's no doubt that, 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 Secrets lose their power when you say them out loud. If I'm ashamed of something, I can bring myself to say it, you know. And I'll say there are some things I still haven't talked about from my childhood and whatnot. And I don't know, you know, maybe if I could, I'd be even better off. When I can, I'll maybe be even better off. I don't know. But you have to be willing and able, you know, you have to be willing and then try. And hopefully once you try, you'll be able to do it. So, yeah, that was kind of my experience as I, as I look back on it, you know, so I, I kind of see the, I, I think the steps are useful. They're for me, they're a good framework. They're not magical. And I also caution people um, early on to not think of them as a cure per se, because um, I've been to meetings before where people have beaten themselves up because they, they're depressed or they're having, still having problems in their life, even though they're not drinking. And they blame themselves because they're just not doing a certain step right. They think that's the reason. I've had, yeah. And if you go online and you, and you, you look at all the different stories, there's some really crazy stories about people who, who just decided I relapsed because I didn't do this step or that step correctly. Why do you need something to blame? I don't understand. Like you, you, you drank like, okay. Like I understand why you drank you. I, I have nostalgia for alcohol um, I, I also have go through periods where I feel intense pain, like emotional pain that I, that I feel like I want it to end. Um, but through the steps and being just not drinking for so long and thinking about what happened when I was drinking, I have come to the very clear conclusion that I am not qualified to drink, that I, that I am on, that I've, you know, I've, I don't, I'm not the first person to say this, but you know, my card's been revoked, right? Like I cannot other people, I watch other people. My wife will have three quarters of a drink. It's like maddening. And, and lots, m- most people can, you know, have two or three if you go to happy hour with them. And then they wait an hour and they drive home. <laughs> and and me- meanwhile, I'm on beer five when they drive away. And now I'm either going to, I may stop and get in the car, typical behavior. Uh, it's not very far. <laughs> Um, or I may not. And then when I get to like 12 or 14, God, you know, then I might stop or I might not, you know, and I just, I can't have that. And then in the morning now, not only because I drink so much, but because I am so old, I, the hangovers are debilitating. So why, like, I'm not qualified to drink. I shouldn't drink. I hope I don't. I've heard so many stories about people who like thoughtlessly relapse I just hope it doesn't happen to me. I mean, it won't happen. If I think about it, it won't happen to me because, wow. Yeah. It, it, it could be <laughs> I, devastating. I can't do it. I'm not qualified. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. I have alcohol use disorder. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's how I, that's, that's what I say. And for me, I, I do believe the science of, uh, and I can't explain the science, but there was something that happened to my, um, up there in my brain chemistry that just, um, was triggered and by alcohol. And once that has happened, I just can't, you know, whatever the dopamines levels, whatever. So how are things, how are things for you? Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, is that book, what is it called? The dopamine, the, the, the molecule, the, the molecule of something There's a great book because it just, it explains how dopamine, how, you know, the whole alcohol cycle and other addiction cycles and how dopamine feeds them and basically makes you want something, but it has, no, it doesn't give it, but it just wants you to want it. Once you have it, there's not another thing that comes in and does something positive for you. All it does is make you want, right? And the biggest example that they used in the book was nicotine, right? Nicotine does, nicotine makes you want more nicotine. It does absolutely nothing else. 
alcohol makes you want more alcohol also gives you a, a buzz. Um, but it's just your brain chemicals are not your friend. No, there's, there's a doctor, Dr. Nicole labor. You can look her up and she, she does this. She did a talk at, um, Oh, I think like University of Ohio. I can't remember where, but anyway, she she actually works in um, Akron, Ohio, and she's an addictions doc. And she does a really good job explaining the science behind addiction in a way that I can understand it when she's telling it to me, but I have a really hard time telling it, explaining it to someone else. But it's just it just it makes sense to me the the way that the way that it's described, you know, and. And, um, you know, once I have that, you know, it's just a matter of, um, staying in recovery and not, and not putting that, that particular drug, that drug in, in my brain, that's going to trigger a want for more of that. Yeah. There's a, yeah. It's hard for me to keep the science in my head long enough to explain it to someone else as well. But like, there's that whole thing with GABA and, uh, um, you know, it's basically a, a genetic predisposition, right? Basically this idea that we process alcohol slightly differently and that has some change in how it affects us, but that's, which is wonderful. Okay. Now that's an explanation for one of the reasons I fell into this trap. Um, it's, but it's a trap. It's not, you know, you know, I, when I hear people say I have this disease of mind and spirit and, and then they act like that absolves them of all personal responsibility. No, we, we, it was just easier for us to become, to get in, to get into this state. We still got into this state. Lots of people have alcoholic parents and, you know, horrible, abusive uh, homes. And, you know, most of them don't have alcoholism. Many, some of them do. It's one of the things that one of the, one of the outcomes, but it's not the only outcome at all. So I wanted to ask you how you how are you doing today, and how are you doing particularly with COVID? Yeah, the, I'd say that I've you know the isolation is is um, is really starting to get to me. Yeah, um, after you know, we're taking up to getting to a year now, almost almost a year. We're taking it pretty seriously. You know, um, I you know I'm in my I'm 52. My wife is a similar age, and we just we don't really want to get it, and uh, we don't want to accidentally give it to other people. And, you know, if I wasn't in AA, I might have a different attitude, but because I'm in AA, the people that I want to hang out with tend to be old. <laughs> a lot of the people I, you know, are, are older than me that I, that are in my support group and I don't want to get them sick. And, and so, you know, we've just been very serious about it. I think, you know, I went shopping a couple of days ago. I hadn't been out of the house for six or seven days. <laughs> and I have a startup job where I work like from 8am until, you know, I have a, until a meeting and then, in the evening and then a little after usually. And it's, 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 it's all consuming, but you know, it's not bad. You know, I'm stuck in, in the, uh, my son is home from college right now. It's wonderful. I have all four, all, all four members of my family are here. I, I like spending time with my wife. It's, it's, it's all great, you know, uh, but it's monotonous. And I want to go to a concert. I want to go to a concert. You know, rock and roll is my main rock and roll is my main, and cycling are my two main things. Like I've still been cycling, but obviously I can't go to the concerts. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get back with my bike. Actually. Um, we bought a, we bought a stationary bike and it's a, it's a Schwinn Aerodyne and those damn things are so freaking. I mean, it's, they're a workout. I, the first time I got on there, I could stay on for like 10 minutes, you know? And it was like, man, this is so freaking hard. And, I, and that was like a couple of weeks ago. I haven't come back on it, but I really, I need to get back on the damn thing because I'm sure it'll get a little easier as I go along, but it, it's not just your legs. It's your damn, it's, your, it's everything that thing works on. It's amazing. I I think I, I got like over 3000 miles last year. So that was pretty good or close to three, about 3000 miles indoors and out. And I have this indoor bike that actually replicates the cycling experience. And there's this video game. There's a bunch of video games. One, the one I use is called Zwip, Z Swift. And uh, basically, you use a smart bike and it, you cycle with real people in a 3D world, and it and it makes it just this much more doable. Like I'm not looking at the the ceiling or whatever, you know. I'm not just staring at the wall. Yeah. So I've been. It's been okay. Good. It's been okay. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I like bike riding too, and I, I I agree with you. The whole COVID thing is is it is starting to get old. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I can work from home. Um, I'm not really into the zoom meeting so much because I, it's hard for me when I'm working all day long, looking at the screen and, and talking to my co colleagues and so forth on, on the screen to say, okay, now I'm going to shut this down and go on another screen and go to this AA meeting. If I just, 
you know, at the end of the day, I just need to walk away from this computer screen, you know, and I go and I move. I don't, you don't have that transition from work to home, I guess, is the thing. So like if it was like in the old days, I might be in the office working, although I used to work from home part-time anyway, but I might be in the office and then I have the drive home to break it up. And then I might, you know, go to a meeting, you go just traveling to different places kind of breaks things up for you. It's just a lot different from just being in the same, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but other people love the zoom meetings and they go to them, but I just have not. I do three a week, and um, yeah, it's kind of funny because I sit in this chair here like 12, 14 hours a day, <laughs> and then, I, I, and then my, the bike I was talking about is right there. See the back uh, of it right yeah. there next to the guitar. Cool. Yeah, so I'm in this particular room, oh my God, like about about 80% of the time that I'm not sleeping, and the rest of the time I'm sitting in front of the TV with my wife. And, exactly, the same here, same here. And that's, that does get monotonous and old, but uh, anyway, but that's that's life in, in this era, and uh, we'll probably have another year of it, and then uh, hopefully we'll get beyond it. But it was nice talking to you. I really enjoyed we'll this survive. conversation. Uh, we'll yeah, survive. thank you. This has been really, really great. This Good. Really, 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 really helped for me, really helped me. Yeah, you know, um, actually, this is my program now. Uh, even though I don't go to the Zoom meetings, doing these podcasts, this is my meeting for the day. And uh, I every it's that's that's what I like about this podcast is I just enjoy talking to people that um, kind of have a similar view on things as me, and sometimes a little bit slightly different, but I enjoy it. So with that. That's another episode of the Beyond Belief Sobriety Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to help out our podcast, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Uh, head on over to our website, beyondbeliefsobriety.com, and you will find a PayPal button and you will find a button for buy us a cup of coffee. And that's just a way where you can uh, make a small donation to help keep the podcast going. You can also become a patron on patreon.com slash beyondbeliefsobriety, or you can join our YouTube channel and receive some special perks for your small uh, monthly contributions. So uh, if you can do that, that would be appreciated. If not, that's okay too. Uh, we'll be posting more episodes. In fact, I've got quite a few recorded now that we'll be posting like a couple, maybe two or three a week for a little while until we get caught up. So it's great to be back with you again. Thank you for listening. Um, we'll be back very soon with another episode. Bye-bye.